Amen. Well, good morning, community of grace. Thank you for your grace this morning. I'm always in need of it, and sometimes more than at other times. We have come to the third Sunday of Advent today, and that means many things. It means that our waiting continues, as we have been waiting each week during this season of the year. But it also means that it's only two weeks until Christmas. And you know, I was doing the math the other day, and I was reminded and let my wife know that this is the 30th Christmas that we have celebrated together as a married couple. And when I shared that with her, her first response to me is, well, wouldn't it be the 29th? We had our 29th anniversary, and in one of those rare occasions where I was actually correct, I said, well, actually, we had our first Christmas before our first anniversary. So next year will be 30th year of our marriage, and so this is our 30th Christmas together. And I thought about it a little more, and I said, well, that means that we have had 30 Advent wreaths, which amounts to about 150 candles. We've consumed hundreds of dozens of cookies. I still bear the marks. And we have had 30 live Christmas trees. Now, plenty of times over the course of those 30 years, have I tried to convince my family that it would be a good idea for us to get an artificial Christmas tree. And there has always been one holdout, my beloved daughter Kaylee. Every year we bring it up and go, you know, those artificial trees sure look beautiful and they sure would be simpler to have and set up and we wouldn't have to clean up the needles or anything else. And she's like, I want a real Christmas tree. So there we go. Another live Christmas tree purchased and put up in the Vic household. And I think it's kind of an exaggeration to say that it's alive. Really? It's been cut. It was cut long before we purchased it. We cut off a little bit more, it sucked up a little bit more water, but that thing is dead almost from the time that you put the thing in the stand. That's just the reality of trees that are cut off. Now, trees aren't just a symbol of Christmas, my friends. Other than God and people, the most frequently mentioned living thing in the Bible is trees. Trees, symbolic of many different things. They're, of course, prominent in the creation story. They're animated in the Psalms with the trees clapping their hands. They are central to the story of Jesus in multiple ways. Of course, Jesus was a carpenter. But Jesus also spoke about the mustard seed becoming a great tree. Jesus cursed the fig tree, and of course, Jesus was nailed to a tree, another term given to the cross. But also, trees are continually referenced in the prophets, most especially in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah speaks of trees again and again and again as a symbol of Israel. They symbolize strength and the life of God's people in the great cedars of Lebanon, or the oaks that are firmly planted, 
Isaiah refers to this over and over and over again. And it's in Isaiah that we want to turn today as we continue in our sermon series, The God Who Was and Is and Is to Come. Open with me, if you would, to Isaiah. And we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning to begin. And as you turn there, let me tell you a little bit about the prophet Isaiah. Now, scholars have some differing opinions about when Isaiah was written or how many Isaiahs actually wrote Isaiah over a period of time. But for the sake of being in good company here today, we're going to say it's about 600 years before the birth of Christ. That's a long time. And in the place and time that Isaiah is writing this and the prophecies that Isaiah gives, God's people are in trouble. They have had a series of evil kings, and they have done a series of evil things. They're in trouble because of their disobedience, because of their worship of other gods, and because of the evil kings that have led them. And if you read the first five chapters of Isaiah, you will see God's response to this level of idolatry. That is what the worship of other gods is and what it means. And then in chapter 6, God chooses a messenger, a messenger to Israel to bring this message, beginning in Isaiah 6, verse 9. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then Isaiah said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land." This is a bleak picture, a bleak picture, and what a message to send the prophet Isaiah to say. (laughs) Here is the message, proclaim this message to them, Isaiah, knowing that they won't listen to you, knowing that they're not going to see things the way that you see them, and yet this is what your task is, go and proclaim the message that the land is ravaged and destroyed, that even the trees are cut down and all that remains are stumps. But there is also a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of the future. The holy seed will be the stump in the land. What is this holy seed? 
What is Isaiah up to? What is he saying and being called to say on God's behalf? Well, we find out after a number of chapters. As we move forward into chapter 11, which is where I want to spend the most of our time together today, chapter 11 of Isaiah, beginning at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's a lot happening in this passage. So I want to break it down for us a little bit. Dig into what is being said here. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Here is a message of hope. A message that all the stumps that they see in the land that God had foretold them would be all that's left. From there, something will spring up. Life will come from one of those stumps, specifically from the stump of of Jesse. Now, who is Jesse, and why would we be talking about Jesse? Well, Jesse is the father of David, King David, the first king, really the second king after Saul, but the one whom God anoints and calls and chooses. David. So why not say, from the stump of David, Here's why. God is humbling Israel. And he's reminding them that it is not with power of your king that you will succeed. It is not through King David that you will find your hope. But in David's father, Jesse, an obscure shepherd and father of shepherds. Jesse was nobody. 
No one in particular other than he happened to be the father of David. And when you think about it, when you think through history, how many fathers do we really remember? Does anybody know who Einstein's father was? I couldn't tell you. How about Johann Sebastian Bach? Mm, Nope. Rembrandt? Uh Uh-uh. Go right down the list and you won't find too many of those names that will just fall right out of your mouth. Here God is speaking the same thing. Listen, Israel. What I'm going to do is going to come from the obscurity of Jesse and it will seem as small and as insignificant as Jesse was. And from that place will come the Messiah. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. Seven spirits that are mentioned in this passage. The Spirit of the Lord, of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of fear of the Lord. Seven is not an accident. It's purposeful. This is the completion. This is what God has been preparing for. The Savior whom he would send. The long-awaited Messiah. The one who would come in perfection and completion. This is a foretelling a foretelling of the one who would come, the Messiah long awaited, the one whom we would come to know as Jesus. Was the Spirit of the Lord upon Jesus? Absolutely. How about wisdom and understanding? Most certainly. Counsel and might, definitely. Knowledge and fear of the Lord, without question. This is Jesus we're talking about here. The long-awaited Messiah, but the one who would come in obscurity, born in a manger, not of noble birth, of the lineage of David for sure, but not recognized, not recognized by any earthly king or earthly kingdom. But here he is, this picture of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, which simply means Jesus, the Messiah. And what will he do when he comes? He will make things right. He will bring perfect justice and righteous judgment. That's what he will do. He will see and hear things as they really are, not as what we think they are. Now, this is important. Jesus, the coming Messiah, comes on the scene, and what he sees, he sees clearly because he is the embodiment of God, God in the flesh. And what he hears, he hears clearly. 
Not as so much of the misinformation, disinformation, opinion that is brought so frequently throughout history and continues on today. The perceptions and misperceptions of human beings like you and me know this Messiah will see things clearly. Not with his eyes, but by the Holy Spirit. Not with his ears, but by the Holy Spirit. That is how this Messiah will come and what he will accomplish. And he will bring total restoration to the world and everlasting peace. Shalom is the word that the Bible uses for peace. And it is a loaded term, loaded with rich meaning, far more than just the absence of conflict. The spirit of shalom means everything is made right, relationships are made right, starting with the relationship between God and man through Jesus, and then from one to the other through Jesus. And then not only that, but in nature itself, the creation is restored. Everything is set right. And by everything, I mean everything. This is a vision of what is known as the Messianic Age. The Age of Messiah. And it began in the birth of Jesus. And it will come to fullness when Jesus returns. And he most certainly will Return. We describe it as the second coming, but as we all know, that word coming is translated advent, yes? So this is the second advent of Christ that we await. There is the first advent when Jesus came into this world born as a child. There is the continuing advent of him being born anew and afresh into us every time we turn to him. But ultimately, my friends, there will be a second advent. There will be a return when Jesus returns in power and sets everything right. That is our hope. But it didn't look like that to those who heard Isaiah's prophecy. All they saw were stumps. Stumps everywhere. And I think in many ways that's what we see today. When we look out into the world, when we look into our own lives, when we look into the brokenness of our creation and of our relationships, there are stumps Everywhere, we see a world that has been clear-cut of many of the things that we used to see as strong, stable, even majestic. But so much of it was a mirage because the only thing that is forever and eternal is God and you and the relationships that we have with one another. Those are meant to endure. 
Those are meant to continue on. But everything else gets cut down. And when we look around and see only stumps, it can be hard for us to find hope. But hope can come in pretty fascinating ways. I remember growing up having a pine tree that was growing in our backyard, and it grew up pretty close to the house. I don't know who planted it there. But as it grew up, it grew right up in front of a window and wound up blocking that window. And so one year, my father said to me, you know what, rather than us going and getting a Christmas tree this year, why don't you go in the backyard and cut down that pine tree and we'll bring that one in for a Christmas tree. Absolutely. Off I went. Now, this tree was a little bit big for our house. So I had to try and kind of size it up as best I could leave a little bit on the bottom and, and cut across and get a good spot and then clear off some of the boughs so that it would fit into a stand. And we brought it in and placed it in the house and enjoyed it thoroughly that year. Full and beautiful, gorgeous tree. Nothing like actually cutting one out of your own yard. We moved on from that place. I grew older and moved out of the house. and Then I returned back several years later and looked out the back window, and lo and behold, there was a pine tree there again. I walked out, looked in the back, and sure enough, that stump had still had shoots that remained on it on the bottom. And as pine trees are wont to do, they will pick a strong one, they will bend it up, and begin to regrow a tree. And pine trees grow rather rapidly. And this one, lo and behold, grew enough to create a second Christmas tree. <laughs> After that, we had the stump removed. It was surprising. I learned something that day. That even when it looks like a stump, God is still at work. And God can use stumps to create what he desires because this is the God who brings life out of death, friends. This is the promise of Jesus. God is in the resurrection business. He takes dead things and makes them alive again just like he has done for you and for me. The promise of Jesus, the one who was, who is and who is to come again. So how should we respond to this promise of Christ's return? Now pay attention. Okay? Are you paying attention? Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Because that's it. Pay attention. And be ready. That is how we are to respond. We pay attention. And we are ready. So here's three ways I want you to pay attention. Pay attention to what God is saying. Most especially from his word. And then as his word is spoken through the relationships around you. Listen to what he has to say. Because what he has to say has not changed. 
And it's the same message of hope and of truth to you today as it has been nourishing Christians for 2,000 years. Listen. Pay attention to what God is saying. And then pay attention to what God is doing. God is up to things. Always. He never rests. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is at work in you. He is at work around you. And He is at work through you. God is working. And where we see Him at work, He invites us to join Him in it. So pay attention to what God is doing. And then pay attention to what you are becoming. Pay attention to what you are becoming. Now you'll notice something here. I didn't say to pay attention to what you are doing. And here's why. If we spend way too much of our focus and our attention on what it is that we are doing, our tendency is to find our identity in what we do. And we become what we do. Instead of doing what is becoming of you. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. We don't use it very often anymore. But when somebody does something and you go, wow, that's very becoming of you. Yes? You see, we are called to do what we are becoming rather than becoming what we're doing. What are we becoming? In this day and age, what are we becoming? Are you becoming bitter? Are you becoming angry? Are you becoming divided? Are you becoming depressed? All of those things are things that we may be becoming. So we should pay attention to what it is that we are becoming. And when we listen to what God is saying, and when we pay attention to what God is doing, we can start to see what it is that we are becoming. We're not there yet, friends. I am still becoming. You are still becoming. But you are becoming what God desires you to be. His beloved child. The apple of his eye. The one whom he is restoring. And the one who will then come, Jesus himself, to restore everything and make everything right. He is coming while we are still becoming. So that is what we are called to do. We're not called to panic. We're not called to fear. We're not called to dismissal or anger. We are called to pay attention. to wait and to become what God is calling us to become. Don't become what you do. Do what is becoming of you. That is how we wait. That is how we work forward. 
That is how we prepare for the one who is and who was and who is to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that speaks to us through the ages. Lord, give us ears to listen and hearts to receive, Lord. Help us not to be blind or deaf to what it is that you are doing and saying to us, Lord. We can't do this ourselves. It is only your work in us, the work that you have accomplished through your son Jesus Christ who came as a child, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death, and then was raised to new life. And now he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen.